Welcome to Michigan in Focus, powered by The Center Square and a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Scott McClellan, a staff writer for The Center Square. To support great podcasts like this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. We are recording this podcast on December 22nd, 2022, and joining me today is Tom Gantert, a managing editor of The Center Square. Tom, how's it going? Very good. Good. What are you doing for Christmas, Tom? I don't know yet. Fair. I don't think that far ahead. <laughs> nice. I'm uh, planning to drive about eight or nine hours south to Illinois. So we'll see how that goes with the... I know what I'm doing Christmas Eve. Oh, you know Watching what you're doing on Christmas Eve? What's that? Watching the Lions. Hey, that'll be a great game to watch them lose again and actually break a winning no, streak. No, they're seven and seven. Yeah, but it's it's been a short time. If you look over, you know, they over started the years. one and six. Mm-hmm. They started. We'll see, off, we'll see how they finish. <laughs> but today we're going to talk state subsidies. We're going to the playoffs. <laughs> I'll believe that when I see it. Uh, but today we're going to talk uh, state subsidies, specifically the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Uh, should taxpayers fund private businesses? Uh, does this create jobs? Uh, the news hook on this is that Michigan-based outdoor clothing store Carhartt was granted nearly $1 million of taxpayer money to expand their operations in Dearborn. The spending is expected to create 125 new jobs and spark $4.6 million in capital investment. However, those jobs come at a price. University of Michigan economics professor Chris Douglas said that taxpayers will pay about seventy-five grand per job created. Uh, so, Tom, does this work? Uh, typically, how, I thought how many businesses jobs is going to create. Yeah, one hundred twenty-six. One hundred twenty-five. Yep. One hundred twenty-five. Four point six million jobs in the state. It's going to create one hundred twenty-five, and uh, we know. Historically, that every quarter, the state of Michigan uh, economy uh, creates about 200,000 jobs and loses about 200,000 jobs. And how many jobs? 125? Uh, 125. Yeah, it's a drop in the bucket. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, the, the place I used to work, the Mackinac Center for Public Policy, would say that it should be called the, the Michigan Economic Development Corporation for uh, Politicians because this is good for press releases for people who, and by the way, there's 125 jobs they say they're going to create. My biggest complaint uh, is that um, there's no accountability to if those jobs come to fruition. So there's nobody uh, in the media that is tracking these jobs three, four, five years after, uh, you know, the press release comes out. Historically, I've, I've done a lot of reporting on this. Um, there is a, a slew of reporting when the press release comes out and then almost nothing. So why is that? And is it because it's too hard to follow uh, or we don't have a lot of documents? Mm-hmm. A lot of reasons. Part of that reason is, is, is what you just said. Uh, the, the MEDC does not give you the information that you need to actually track. A lot of companies, you don't know what they're doing and it's a private company, so they don't have to tell you. You know, when I worked at the Amber News, we were trying to track what Google was doing, you know, in terms of, you know, the getting uh, uh, abatements and, and, and prefer- preferential uh, deals for coming to Ann Arbor. And we were trying to find out, you know, are you going to create the job you said you're going to create when this was announced? And we were reliant on Google telling us. 
which is not an efficient or, or, or a good system at all to let the employer tell you, yeah, we just trust us. We hit our, our thing. Now, the uh, Auditor General did a report in 2013. They looked at the MEDC's programs and found that only 22% of the projected jobs that, that press releases had stated actually uh, came through. And in one instance, a company said it was going to create 600 jobs, but just had seven. Okay. We don't have access to that. The reporters don't have access to that kind of data. We can't just go up to a company and say how many jobs you got. And they won't tell you. Historically, they won't. I've tried. So that is one of the problems. The other problems is that, uh, you know, the announcement comes in a nice press release. Finding out what happened two or three years later, there's no press release for that. So you got to find it yourself. Uh, and that's, uh, and that's part of the problem with, um, you know, with the entire program is that, um, you know, there, there's no accountability or tracking to find out if they are doing what they're saying they're doing. And the data that is out there does not look very good for the MEDC. You know, one out of every five jobs, you know, if you go on the MED website right now, they have a, a thing that they are going to create or retain 1,846 jobs. That's what their big press releases. Um, what does retain mean? Exactly. Like we're, were they just I going to keep these jobs means. anyway, or are we just paying yeah, people? Yeah, that's what it means. It means, it means we, we kept the job from going somewhere else, allegedly, but there's no proof that that was true. It's just that's the number of jobs they had, so we're retaining it because we're, we're, you're not actually creating jobs, but we're giving you this money, so we're going to say you're not going to go somewhere else because we're giving you the money, hence a retained job. You know, So there's a lot of problems I have in terms of uh, – um, you know, go back to 2010, uh, MERS News, which is a a uh, capital newsletter. So they did this incredible thing where they added up from 2003 to 2010, all the announcements, all the press release announcements, the Granholm administration released uh, from MEDC saying all the jobs are created. And what they found is that they claimed uh, to uh, create uh, 1.4 million direct retained or indirect jobs. Now, that's that would be 25% of the jobs in this state came from the MEDC, which is uh, ridiculous, okay? But that's what the press releases added up to, according to, to MERS. Now, what is direct retained? And, uh, you know, we know direct means that's the jobs they're actually creating. Retained, we talked about, that's a job that's already there that they claim would leave if if, if not for the subsidy. And then the indirect job, that's the uh, another kind of curveball they throw in. An indirect job means that, okay, so if we hire 20 employees at a GM shop, that means that there's a local diner that those people are going to go eat at, and they're going to hire another cook and another waitress. So that's two jobs added, you know, and, and, and on it goes. So there's, you know, that is my biggest problem with the MEDC. I don't know if you remember Rascal. So, no, okay. I do not. So, uh, in 2010, uh, the MEDC gave a um, 9.1 million in state tax credits to a company called Rascal. The CEO was a guy called Richard Short. Okay. So, um, now this is according to news reports. Okay. So, the day after he appeared on stage with Granholm, he was arrested by the Michigan State Police on a parole violation. 
In short, uh, the state record showed was convicted in 2002 of embezzling money from a company. Okay, he'd also defrauded a mortgage company and cashed a $73,000 check. He was accused of stealing money from an elderly woman who lived next door to him. And his daughter, who was Holly Baker, called him a serial con man and claimed that he had one time faint having cancer. And at the time he got the, the, the he was approved for the $9.1 million tax credit, um, he was living in a mobile home park. And he, now he never received the tax credit for Rascal, but the state had claimed that he was going to invest $18.4 million in a new headquarters in Flint. And he was living in a mobile home park at the time. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that, uh, I mean, that's the, the permanent stain on the MEC is the, the Richard Short thing. That's not my problem with them. My problem with them is that they could say they're going to create jobs and they didn't, then they, there is no, um, way to track to find out if you're actually doing what you're saying you're going to do. It's strange to me that the amount of work in this whole process, it's like MADC takes applications, they give out money, and then they just watch the company for a couple of years to see if they actually did create the jobs or didn't. It just seems like a lot of work involved. Well, we don't know. We don't know what they do. They release a port report every year, but if the if these companies don't hit certain triggers, they don't have to release the information. So there's a lot of times where we're trying to find out if you go on their annual the MEC annual report, and we're saying, okay, uh, how many jobs did this company create that said it was going to create 400? Well, they don't have to because they didn't trigger to hit the, to get the money to get the tax credit. They don't have to tell you. So we don't know. So, you know, it's a, the, but the bottom line is, is that, you know, when the, we started with a, a, an announcement for 125 jobs, there's 4.6 million jobs in the state. What does that really mean to the economy? Nothing. Yet it's, you know, it's, it's covered by the media as if it's, if it's a, you know, a major deal. Do we have any idea of the total dollar amount of subsidies that the state gives away via the MEDC? We know what they approve. It's tougher to find out what's actually awarded. Um, you know, that's very difficult to do because they have to hit, these companies have to hit certain triggers to get um, to get the money that they're approved for. And in many instances, these companies failed so spectacularly that they never got any of the money that they they never received any of the money that they were approved for. So, you know, they might have been approved for $10 million, but they didn't get a dime. So it's, 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 you have to go project by project and it's very hard to track. While uh, 1 million may not seem like a ton, uh, just last week, the MEDC uh, gave away about $57 million in subsidies uh, that they claimed would create or retain 1,846 jobs. And that was to a range of different industries. Uh, about 30 million was to a paper mill. Uh, 4.5 was to an electric vehicle auto company. 1.5 million was for an apartment complex in Detroit. It just seems uh, like they're just hitting all the industries. Yeah, and you know, and it's not. There are anecdotal examples of how ineffective it is, and I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was in Ann Arbor, Borders Book Company uh, got a uh, a big subsidy from the MEDC to to, to help it out. It's a major company. Um, and um, there's a lot of private small bookshops in Ann Arbor. They were living on a very thin profit margin that didn't get a dime. So it, it favors companies uh, that it likes. Uh, other companies who are competing against borders are, are SOL, right? And on top of that, 
borders left Ann Arbor anyways. You know, with the the borders uh, bookstore in Ann Arbor has long been gone. So, you know, anecdotally, there's plenty of examples of how big a failure the MEDC has been. You have anything else to add? Oh yeah, just this. Uh, in 2015, I did a story about the MDC funding projects that were actually run by government. So it was taking taxpayer subsidies, and it was in Ymsilanti, and uh, the MDC was uh, giving money to a organization that was going to give money to a government. So it, it, they the, sometimes stray from their original mission too. Perfect. Let's move on to our next topic. A mom was denied a Freedom of Information Act request that sought uh, materials of a ethnicity and gender class of uh, Rochester community schools. So a little bit of background on this. Um, the uh, the mom, her name is Carol Beth Lukui. Uh, she sued in March. Uh, she paid $418 to see a unit plan, but was restricted from uh, seeing them or copying them. Judge Jacob James Cunningham said that Michigan's FOIA lock covers only school districts and not individual teachers. Let's start with FOIA in general. Mm -hmm. It's a toothless, ridiculously inept law, uh, and you're at the mercy of whatever the uh, public um, municipalities want to give you. That's true on so many levels. So let's let's start with some of the basic problems. Is uh, I just put a FOIA in for a transit company in Dallas. And, and what I'm learning is that most FOIA laws across the country are, are inept. Okay. So uh, it took them six months to get back uh, salary information. I put the, the thing in June 28th. I got it like three days ago. Was there any back and forth on that? Or was it just you submitted it and then they said you- I submitted you it and they gave it to me six months later. So, I mean- that is the rule of thumb generally is that there is, you know, in Michigan, it's supposedly you have uh, five days to get a response and, te and 10 days, if uh, extra days, if they want the extension. Now, this is, a, I've done FOIA a lot in Michigan. Here's the thing. They got 15 days to get a response. Okay. They don't have to give you it in 15 days. The FOIA law doesn't say when they have to give it to you. I have had many instances where we paid and they cashed the check and they've waited several months to give us the information because legally they're allowed to. Okay, that's beyond what's going on in Michigan right now. And the municipalities have found an easy way to thwart FOIA. Just charge them 1500 bucks, you know, or $800. Mm -hmm. But the parent, it, it, rather than go to court, what they should have just said is it's going to cost us $700, you know. And what they've allowed now is, is what uh, the – what's been ruled with FOIA in Michigan is that you can throw in half the cost of benefits, not only the salary cost. So that means like we were putting FOIA, FOIA things in for Michigan. And if a municipality doesn't wants to charge you, okay, they can charge you as much as seven to $800 easily. Once you start getting in the cost of the, of the employee to get the information, because now they're allowed to throw in the cost of uh, half the benefits. Um, so that's one of the things is, okay, so you got one, they don't have to, they, there's no, in Michigan, there's no timeline as to when they have to give you the information. Okay. The second thing was uh, the cost. They can now throw, uh, make the cost an obstacle. Okay. The other is uh, the, for the biggers, like this happened at University of Michigan all the time. They can just make ridiculous claims and say, take us to court. 
you know, and it's expensive to go to court. Okay, so that's another obstacle. See, the University of Michigan said um, to us, when uh, to uh, my former employer, when we asked for uh, salary information, they were just giving us base salaries. And I said, well, I want gross pay, which would include bonuses and uh, any um, uh, anything outside of a raise. Okay, so bonus, blah, blah, Because I knew that these employees were getting far more than their base salaries. University of Michigan said, no, we don't have to give you that. Bonuses are not part of the uh, gross pay is not part of the FOIA law. It was a ridiculous claim. They knew where they're going to lose. Uh, they dragged it out for 18 months. Uh, they did lose, but what do they care? You know, it's not, it's not, it's not their money. It's taxpayer dollars they're spending. Uh, and then eventually we got the information a year later and it was true. Employees were getting, you know, there were some, some coaches, they were getting, you know, 80, 90, 120,000 on top of their base pay when the university was claiming that uh, salaries were frozen, okay, because these were bonuses. Um, so well, at least that's what the data showed that we got back. So, um, you know, that's the other thing is when you get into um, the, uh, what they, I guess the perspective of the municipalities, University of Michigan's among the worst. They are the least cooperative uh, and, and they're so arrogant about it. Because, you know, they know they're going to lose, but so what? What do they care? It's still going to be 18 months before you get your information. And then, you know, you you better have a lawyer who's willing to put in the time to go up against them. And that's a tremendous cost in itself. Where I worked had its own legal staff, so it was a little bit different. But, you know, so that's part of the problems with FOIA that this parent's facing. There could have been, you know, if the school district was, you know, ahead of its time, could have just charged her only twelve hundred bucks and and saved the legal hassle, you know, and and she would have, she would most parents don't have twelve hundred dollars to come up to find out what's being taught to their children in their own school. Have you seen any substantial changes or reforms to FOIA since you've been a reporter in Michigan? I've seen FOIA. Um, most of the um, problems with FOIA law have been. Um, for the worse, mm-hmm. some of the changes. I was at the Ann Arbor News and I was involved with the case uh, at Eastern Michigan University that um, was a major blow to FOIA. And that is that uh, there was a ruling by a judge that said that frank and earnest discussion can be withheld from FOIA. Hmm. Okay. Don't know so what this means. was going back about 2009. So what, what, it, what it means is that if, if uh, employees in the public sector are having a, quote, frank and earnest discussion, about something, um, an employee, for example, uh, it can be withheld from FOIA, okay? Because uh, the ruling was basically this would stymie any real conversation about the importance of, of you know, employee um, performance, okay? University of Michigan, and we caught them doing this, claimed uh, on the president's uh, emails we requested that they withheld some of them due to this exemption, this frank and uh, earnest uh, exemption. Uh, and then when we, they finally, when we took them to court, gave us, and during the settlement, had to give us the emails and it had nothing to do with what the exemption was. So, but what did they care? There was no penalty for it. There's no enforcement um, of if you uh, break the FOIA law that I've ever seen. And I've s- had instances where I've seen them do it. You know, we we uh, we tried to get budget documents from a county up north once and they hit us with a nine hundred dollar FOIA fee 
just to find out what they were talking about. There's a, you know, a, in this expand, you know, I'm working outside of Michigan a little bit too now, but in Pennsylvania, uh, there is a municipality, um, a, st- a city that just got out of state review. And we were trying to get some budget documents that are not online, basic budget documents that the city will not put online. And when we asked for them, they said FOIA. And you know what that means? I'll wait three, four months, you know, to get basic budget documents that should be available to all citizens. So this is a national problem and that, uh, you know, there is nobody really that, that tracks um, the accountability of, of government now because FOIA is, is, is not a good tool. I, we should start giving a lot more credit to the municipalities that are um, reliable. There are a lot of people out there that give us the information on a reasonable time and don't charge us the money. And I guess based that they really don't have to, uh, we should be a little more thankful for that, but yeah, it's hard should. to be thankful. For, it's hard to be thankful when this is what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this is, this is the transparency that they all brag they want, but you know, so many don't do it. Perfect. Tom, do you have anything to add? You know, on FOIA, I do, because it's one of my, it's something that's been stuck in my claw for a long time because um, every every day I run into municipalities that uh, just thumb their nose at what they should. For instance, I just had an Indiana school district said, and Ann Arbor Public Schools said this too. So it's, this is not just, you know, Indiana, but it's also Michigan. It's everywhere. They basically said that we were trying to track a teacher um, uh, absences. So we asked, uh, and I asked for Ann Arbor years ago, but Indiana this year, our school district, I asked them for the uh, the number of days each teacher had missed, you know, a tally. So we could look and see, you know, why are you hiring so many substitute teachers? Well, the way to find out is how many days off are your teachers missing? And they said, we don't have to give you that. It's not a document we keep, you know, and you want to take them to court. That's the only way you get around me. You're going to tell me that you don't know how many days off your teachers are missing. You know, that's ridiculous. But that's what they claimed. So, I mean, that's the problem is like is is unless you've got a lot of money or free legal staff, um, you know, the the non-transparent school districts uh, will uh, thumb their nose at the uh, Open Records Act. Perfect. Thank you, Tom. And that's all the time we have for this week on Michigan and Focus. I want to thank Tom for joining me today. Make sure to subscribe to Michigan and Focus wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next week. 